The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Ed Toner, Chief Information Officer of the State of Nebraska. So welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition, Ed. Thank you. Very glad to be here. Before we get started on IT issues, accomplishments, priorities, and, and heartaches, too, in the Cornhusker State, let's talk a little bit about your route, your route to the, the CIO position before you were first appointed by uh, Governor Pete Ricketts back in June of 2015. Interestingly, our previous guests have really, really run the gamut. Bob Sampson from New York, uh, he had a career in technology with IBM. And then Delaware CIO James Collins was on. He was an Air Force dental technician, believe it or not, and eventually a, a chief of staff to the governor. And then Washington, D.C. CIO Barry Krukoff was an early GIS guru and chief data officer with local and state government. But I believe that as for you, Samson, and me, state CIO was our first state job, right? Tell us about your route to the appointment. Wow, yeah, my, my route was uh, a little bit different also. I started out, uh, I'm an engineer, uh, industrial engineering in manufacturing. Uh, and I did that for about uh, well, several several years. And while I was uh, in manufacturing, of course, this was the mid-80s, uh, and um, I kind of migrated from industrial engineering to doing both industrial engineering and IT functions. and uh, eventually decided that the IT side of things uh, paid a little bit better, and the manufacturing side of things was at that time uh, very much um, the future was in doubt. We were a Tier 1 provider to General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler, and if you remember the 80s, it wasn't a really good time for, to be in manufacturing, especially in car manufacturing. And uh, so I moved over into the IT world. Uh, my background includes Blockbuster. Video. I was doing store support for the 5,000 stores out of their corporate offices in uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, and their data center out in McKinney, Texas. Um, moved from there to Ameritrade, uh, and now is uh, TD Ameritrade, um, and then moved from there to First Data, uh, taking different roles at each location, uh, operations and support at uh, Blockbuster, at uh, TD Ameritrade, it was more of an infrastructure and operations role. And First Data, it was a, at my choice, it was a software development role uh, that later turned into an architecture role, uh, leading an architecture team. So, and then go ahead. to the state. So how did that, yeah. back, how do you think that background prepared you to be a state CIO? I think um, the, the broadness of my um experience, of course, being on all sides of IT was important. And I've always talked about, you know, I know that the, the new trend now is, you know, you don't really have to be technical to be a, a, a CIO, and I, I, I firmly disagree with that. I think you have to have the respect of your people, and you have to know what uh, what they're talking about and to make the right decisions. And they always say, well, surround yourself with people who can make those decisions. Well, if you haven't been there, if you haven't been in the trenches, if you haven't done that, I don't, I don't, I don't really see where you can identify those people. You have to understand what it's like at two in the morning to be on a bridge call trying to get a system up before 
you know, the uh, open day for trading uh, happens. You have to be in those pressure situations and understand how they feel and, and the technical things that can go wrong uh, and be one of the people who actually fixed them at one time. Uh, and if you don't have that empathy for your people and that knowledge, I think uh, you lose not only respect but really an overall focus for, you know, what is really needed uh, to be a leader in this in this uh, part of the, the state. So how did your uh, actual appointment by the governor come about? Well, I worked for the governor for a little over 10 years. Um, the governor was the chief operating officer of Ameritrade. Um, his father actually started the company in 1975. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I remember reading about that relationship. It's really, uh, I always say there's, there's two critical areas of, uh, or ingredients, if you will, for a successful CIO. And one is that relationship with, uh, the executive champion, and the second one is the uh, the organizational structure of the CIO CIO governance model. Um, I certainly believe that that's a, a critical element. Was that model that you inherited when you became CIO? Talk us talk us a little bit about that before we go into your current your current organization. Well, the model that I accepted when I first came to the state there. To be very blunt, there wasn't any model. We weren't following any ITIL standards. Um, we did not have uh, in place basic structures in, that actually exist in the private sector, like uh, project management office. Um, we were very distributed across the state. Everyone had their own pro uh, policies and procedures, if any. Uh, very few were documented. Um, it was very much like having, you know, multiple companies that merged uh, together but never truly united. Um, so it was like they were acquired but never merged, um, which we saw that – I saw that in my, in my past where we um, would merge with a company and do a very good job or we would just acquire a company and they sat out there and did their own thing. Um, and you really didn't gain any of the financial or quality benefits or efficiencies when you didn't fully integrate and fully merge that new company into your organization. And I saw that across the state here in Nebraska. So what did you do when you came on board? How did you go about changing and what does it look like now? When I came on board, the very first thing I did was, of course, um, discussed my plan with the governor, who fully endorsed it. He had seen and been part of multiple mergers with me at TD Ameritrade and uh, pretty much based it on the same strategy that I always based mergers on, and that is to combine and eliminate. So in other words, what do I mean by combining? Combining the resources um, and eliminate duplication of hardware and software. And so we also found that through the mergers in the past, you have to do it quickly or you don't do it at all. And, and I know that's the, the case right now in the states that have tried to consolidate for 18 years, and we've done it in 18 months. And so the very first thing we did was I talked to all the cabinet agencies at one time, and I did a, a uh, business case. And the business case showed that we could save a our, most of our savings were in infrastructure, but in order to actually do the consolidation of infrastructure, I needed the resources because I didn't have enough resources in my agency alone. So we went to Gartner and we got 
different uh, benchmarking uh, measurements, and we presented those. So we presented this as 100% a business case. Um, we expected attrition. We always had it whenever we did a merger uh, in the private industry, and we expected a certain number, and it was 20%, and that was exactly what we ended up with. The first six months, we concentrated on the network. So we started with combining all of the network engineers, actually physically relocating them into the office of the CIO, and their first job was to migrate their network onto our new network. We had designed a new network for this project that was more modern and more secure, and their job was to move all of their domains onto our one single domain, get rid of the domain controllers, get rid of the firewalls, get rid of the excess switches. And so there was our savings. And in doing that, they also learned about the entire state. And we learned a lot of things about the entire state. And of course, we, we uh, enhanced a lot of um, security and we lowered costs tremendously. And did we get that 20% attrition? Yep, it, it comes naturally, because really when you bring people out of their environment where they were the big fish in a very small pond, and then you put them in a big pond, uh, there's a natural, um, um, kind of a natural desire to, to, to go on and move on to something else for some people. For other people, it's a very exciting time because you can really learn from your peers, and you're not the only resource. And, and that's what, what was the case in many of our agencies, there was just one resource. That was it. And now we're, you know, 10, 20 deep in some areas. That was our first stage. So your your uh, organizational structure then, are you actually a member of the governor's cabinet and report to him? Yes, I am a direct report uh, to Governor Ricketts. It's interesting because our first guest was Doug Robinson, who's the executive director of NASIO, and he he told us, because I'm so interested in the CIO governance model, that over half the CIOs now report to uh, to their governor, which is a huge change over the 20 years I've been a member of NASIO. It's good to see you there because mm-hmm. it makes your job, as we'll talk about a little more, uh, uh, it, it makes your job a lot more doable, if you ask me, if you have that kind of executive champion. And not only that, but you also have uh, the operational side, which is uh, – is another big challenge, particularly a big challenge right. in the federal agencies, which are probably have a weaker CIO governance model on the whole than the states do. And uh, Doug agreed with that assessment. So yeah, I I agree also. Yeah, uh, just from the little bit that I've learned. Yeah, it's interesting because in my conversation with uh, the same similar conversation with James Collins, we talked about this and and how he took the job uh, and he has a similar a similar uh, um, organizational structure as you do. And I said, would you have taken the job if you didn't? And he said, no, I, I, I don't see how you could be successful at that. And I had to agree with him. I, I had the kind of uh, ortho- policy and uh, operational authority in, in Massachusetts. But when I went to California, it was, uh, you know, you're in charge of $6 billion budget and you got 15 people and you got policy and, you know, the data center managers don't report to you. So it made it a big struggle to, to um, try to change that over the course of my uh, administration, as they say. Uh, tell us a little bit about your organization. You've got to think a budget uh, north of $100 million, right? Right. Um, so that is really its spending authority, right? So I don't get any general funds. 
um, essentially have the authority to spend that uh, up to $120 million. We're a fully chargeback organization, so I have to charge for all of my services, which um, when really when you're, you're I, I kind of counterintuitive, I ended up making it much cheaper and lowering the cost for the agencies, which actually hurt me because my revenue started going away. So at the same time, I'm bringing in um, resources and having to pay for those resources. And at that time, I also was eliminating some of the things that I was charging for. A good example was the phase two. So phase one was network. That was six months. And phase two, we needed to have phase one set up so that we could move servers in. So phase two was the server engineers. Well, as we moved the servers in, we found there was um, preponderance of all the servers across the state were physical servers. So we didn't move the physical servers in. We virtualized those servers. And while by doing so, we ended up eliminating hundreds of servers. Well, the servers I was charging, you know, I would have been able to charge for had I brought them in as physical at much higher rates. But instead, I ended up uh, virtualizing them and actually lowering uh, the number of servers I could charge for. Now, the good news there is I ended up with a net uh, greater number that I could charge for all on virtual servers. We also consolidated even our, our uh, virtual software so that we only had one uh, across the state. So that took six months. We brought in um, over a thousand servers into our two data centers. When I got here, we only had one data center. Uh, we did pick up a second data center, which is also a great story. It's a colo with the largest county here in Nebraska, and we actually kind of barter. We put uh, servers and racks in their data center. They do the same here. And so at the end, we just uh, sorted out of who has more uh, racks in each data center. So it's a very cheap way to get a second data center. We have one data center in Lincoln, Nebraska, and another data center in Omaha, Nebraska. And in Nebraska, that's pretty much most of our population. Uh, we have 1.9 million um, population in the entire state. We have over a million in um, Omaha, Nebraska, and about 300,000 here in Lincoln. So having the two data centers in our most populous areas uh, was an advantage in many ways. One is if both data centers uh, did have an issue, we wouldn't have very many uh, constituents even um, left to serve. <laughs> uh, the second one was um, they're exactly 50 miles apart, which allowed us to utilize a metro cluster to do replication. So what we do, all of our data is replicated instantly between both data centers, and all of our critical apps uh, have a second instance built in Omaha and in Lincoln. So just like any high availability architecture, you'd have two instances in a data center. And then if you were uh, really going after high availability, which we had at like First Data and TD Ameritrade is, you'd replicate those two instances to another data center. Well, in our case, we kind of, because of uh, just budget constraints, instead of having two instances in one data center, we ended up taking and putting one instance in one data center, one instance in the other data center. So 20 millisecond lag or latency between the two data centers, they all sit on one metro cluster. And so they all act like they're in the exact same data center and they write uh, to um, the database instantaneously, 
And so at any time, if we had an issue at one data center, we could flip to the other data center. So we eliminated our DR site also because of that um, replication that we already have. And again, you know, hats off, we had to bring in a lot of, um, a lot of folks in. Their jobs were from, if they came in from corrections, their jobs were to move the servers over uh, from corrections. If they came in from HHS, it was move the servers over from HHS. But we didn't, the one thing uh, that we um, qualified was if it's a physical server, we've got to move it over and, and make it a virtual so that we uh, got the cost savings uh, while we were doing that. Again, that took six months. Then the last six months, um, we consolidated desktop support. And before we consolidated desktop support, support 90% of the support was coming out of Lincoln, Nebraska. And Lincoln is in the southeastern corner of the state. So we would support agencies that had offices out eight-mile drive to the northwest uh, right here from Lincoln. So they'd have a problem. We'd have to um, send someone out. They would get out there. They would fix the problem. might take them an hour. They would spend the night. They would drive back. It was a, a great waste of time. So what we ended up doing was we d divided up the state into eight regions, and we took any uh, site support folks that were in those regions, and we combined them all together and said, you're going to support the entire region, not just DHHS, not just transportation, not just banking. You're going to support everyone. And so we did staff up in areas where we felt we needed that, but the quality of service has increased dramatically. Now, when someone asks for support, they get the support within an hour or two um, versus a day or two in the past. What that did then was um, it allowed us to pick up more support. So today, this wasn't in our plan, but we have 93 counties in Nebraska. 74 counties use our services exclusively. They have no hardware, no, nothing on site, and they use our site support, which we call them now instead of desktop support, um, for their services. And it's time and materials, and they win because they don't have to employ those folks. And some of them didn't even have the resources to employ uh, the IT uh, staff due to just their size and budgets. So we lowered their cost. Uh, to come onto with the state, the average uh, decrease in cost for a county was 90% decrease in operating because we have virtualized. They had AS400s across the state. We virtualized all of the AS400s onto one pair here in Lincoln and one pair in Omaha, again, giving them redundancy, which they never had before, at a tenth of the, of the cost. That took six months. So now we are actually done. And what's happened now is we're getting more and more people seeing the value of what they're getting. And so the city of Lincoln, for instance, is now in our data center. Oh, yeah, uh, I, wanted felt... to talk, I wanted to talk about that. Let me just shift this a little bit at it. You know, in the private sector, you're, you're really hitting on this uh, quite a bit, but, you know, in the private sector, you had experience with uh, relatively sophisticated management techniques and tools for process improvement. Uh, I, I think you're a Six Sigma black belt, as I recall. These are I am. These are tools that are not often visited upon the government masses, as it were. But in state government, you certainly inherited a rich target environment to focus those kind of skills. Tell us about that. Oh, that was, a, that was the reason why I took the job. 
the governor was very open. Um, coming from private industry, uh, this was his first public service job also. And, uh, you know, he knew actually that that was a great selling point for me. Um, Ed, you know, you're a process improvement guy. You're a Six Sigma black belt. Your background is in education is industrial engineering. So process improvement is in your blood uh, with all these targets of opportunity. Um, I think you'd have a fun time uh, at the state. And he's absolutely right. Um, there are always areas that we can improve on. And um, it was there, – there was – Several areas I just needed to know which ones first, and actually I prioritized what was I going to go after first uh, to see what was going to bring the best benefit, cost, and service to the citizens of Nebraska, and that's really where we went for consolidation first. Um, we're expanding that to all areas, um, and and now it's really we're in the optimization stage. So now we're going after op, op dev. Um, and we're looking at the applications much closer, and we're qualifying, you know, is this a, a, an application we want to continue to invest in, or is this one we need to migrate? Because it hasn't got the redundancy that's, that's necessary for the criticality of the application. Or is this a, a, an application that we'll just tolerate because, um, you know, it has the support it needs, it, it, it serves its function, or is this an application we're going to eliminate because we're finding more uh, and better tools in other agencies as we consolidated, and we're just moving agencies onto those um, platforms? So as we consolidated, we found a lot of things that, again, it was like peeling back an onion. Um, as we started a consolidation, we had this one view, and we hit that, uh, and that was get all the servers in the network consolidated, get all the um, resources consolidated. And then from that, we, one, gained a tremendous amount of talent that was out in the agencies, and two, we gained insight into what was going on at the agencies and how similar some of the tools were that were being used. And so we have been really concentrating now on the optimization of eliminating that duplication of tool sets and actually upgrading our own tool sets. There were things that we found in the agency were, that were better tools than what we had at the OCIO, and so uh, we adopted uh, that technology. And, and likewise, we found better talent that actually brought our talent pool up. Um, so we were really fortunate in things that we, uh, we never thought uh, were even possible. So now, for instance, everything is on one network. We can automatically push up out push out updates um, to all PCs at one time. That was not possible in the past. Um, all of our tools can reach out to every endpoint we have, which wasn't possible in the past. And so we're just much more efficient at doing our job uh, than we ever were. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Ed Toner, Chief Information Officer of the State of Nebraska. I want to thank you for listening. Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly, and other more esteemed authors, as I like to say, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn.
You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.